This is the Good Things Guy podcast with myself, Brendan DeCube, South Africa's very own Good Things Guy. I'm on a mission to change what the world pays attention to. I truly believe that there's good news all around us, and I spend my time hunting down and reporting on the best good news stories from South Africa and the world. In the Good Things Guy podcast, you'll meet these everyday heroes and hear their incredible stories. In this day and age of the 21st century, one would think that all credible world first explorations have already been done. But they haven't. For over the past decade, Rian Mansa has rewritten the definition of tenacity and become the epitome of courage and determination. Rian rose to prominence on becoming the first person to cycle around the perimeter of Africa and had gone on the wildest expedition since then, from circumnavigating Madagascar to kayaking from Africa to New York. Some call him the South African Bear Grylls. I call him one of my closest friends and I'm so excited to have him in studio today to chat about his latest adventure that he's just got back from. He's literally just flown in. Um, it's the Odyssey Row. We're going to hear more about it. Rian, welcome to the Good Things Guy Jackpot. Cheers, Brent. I think when Bear Grylls gets um, interviewed, I think people tell him that he is also known as the British Rian Manta. <laughs> So, um, no, fair <laughs> enough. I mean, no, I'm kidding. Hey, listen, thank you. I um, have just freshly landed from Barbados and um, still a little bit of sand in, in my ears. But sure, man, nothing like home, hey? Nothing like home. Okay, well, before we get into Barbados and the Odyssey Row, for some of our listeners that might not know who you are, let's start. Was your first expedition the cycle around Africa? Was that the first one? Yeah, I mean, obviously, we, when I was growing up, I had my little own expeditions. But I guess probably putting me on the map, a circumnavigation of the monstrosity of African continent was just this idea that I had. And it landed up um, being a two-year journey out of 34 countries and with just real hardcore adventures in between. And that, that sort of put me on the map, if you would call it that. I didn't presume that there would be the opportunity of a career and writing books and stuff like that. It, it unfolded. So, yeah, man, it's like by accident, if I could call it that. When you took that first, the first pedal on the bicycle, did you think that your story would become an inspiration for so many? We, or were you just cycling around Africa? No, I was just cycling around Africa. <laughs> Obviously, I'm a, the people who know me, you know I'm an enthusiastic guy. And I just my enthusiasm is sort of what just leads the way in any conversation or anything I do. You know, I don't think anything outside of me going from South Africa to Namibia. I tell people really my first goal was leaving the Cape Town waterfront was to get to Malmesbury. Forget about trying to get the 40,000 <laughs> kilometers around Africa and 34 countries. I want to get to Malmesbury, 78 kilometers away. Boom. That was it. And you made it all the way around Africa, which is just insane. Since then, you've done a couple of things. And I mentioned um, the Africa to New York row because that one was, that, that was a biggie as well. Oh, man. It was, you know, in history, um, which is a long time, um, nobody's ever done something like it. And I think probably the, the basis of my career has been to do what no human beings have done. So all my journeys have – and it, I don't – again, I don't – I didn't – plan that but every time i looked at an expedition and i said you know should i climb everest because brent will think it's interesting and i can write a book about it the voice in my head said Rian, everybody's climbed everest if i had the money if brent had the money if ilana had the money if, if anybody had the money they could go climb everest and i criticized that person i said it's about finance it's not about exploration the word explore is about going to unknown seeing things that others have not and that's what Rian Mansur is about and the bicycle trip, the Madagascar trip, the Iceland trip, rowing to New York, which you just mentioned now. No people had rowed ever to North America. Not even Christopher Columbus in 1492 set foot to North America. 
and I wanted to do what would shock people. Now that it's done, it's sort of, oh, it's doable. Why wasn't anybody doing it until 2014? Why did me and my girlfriend at the time have to go and do that to show people that it was possible? Because people didn't think it was possible. Brent, um, yeah, it was a very, very, very expensive shopping trip to New York. <laughs> <laughs> well, if I, I mean, we, we talk about rowing. You're in the vast ocean by yourself and you're rowing. Like, rowing, yeah. where, how big is the boat? So the boat is 6.9 meters exact and 1.5 meters wide. So I try to give people an idea. Like sort of the length of a car, but half the, the, the width and two people. So you would be um, seated in the middle of the boat. If you could imagine just lengthwise, you'd have a small cabin at the back just for extra water, extra food. And then a cabin in the, the, the bow, which essentially allows you to lie down. It's also one and a half meters high. And then that's your home. For, you say lie down, but it's not comfortable. Nah. It's rubbish. It's um, it is very. It's horrendous. Eh? You know, I I sometimes I am a positive guy. Eh? When things aren't that great, I talk myself up and say, Dad, it was great. Oh, I can stretch out. Oh, I can lie on my stomach. So I mean, but when I get back from any journey, then I always just realize, wow, that's not fun. And just and just a reminder for all of our listeners, you literally flew in yesterday. Yeah, so it is. Man. Um, yes. it's you're, you're still reeling from from your. Your last trip, which is the Odyssey row. Yeah, I mean, it's the, it was another row and it was just, again, a new idea that I had and just something that was um, bubbling inside me and I had to deliver on it. So, And I know you asked me some questions about the Odyssey, but the rowing to New York was the start of the ocean crossings for me. For us to land in Bahamas, we made first landfall in Bahamas, which is amazingly the same place that Christopher Columbus also landed in, in San Salvador and in 1492. And that sort of hit home to me because a lot of these expeditions, when you the person, and I think a lot of people, listeners and that will know in their space, you know, from workspace, you achieve, but for you, it's just day-to-day -day achievement. People sometimes from the outside look and say, unbelievable. That was the first time I stood on that beach and looked at this cross of Christopher Columbus that they'd erected to commemorate him finding America, if you could call it that. And I just realized we had rode there. And then I sort of, I, I love those moments because it says, Rian, listen, you are in a, in a business that maybe is more than just traveling. You know, you, you're doing things that absorb people's dreams and passions. And well, I was going to say, there's, yeah. there's people that are listening right now or someone that's read your book before who, who sit and go, I wish. I, w I wish that I could climb onto a boat and, and row. And I, d I, don't know, I don't know what it takes to do that. Well, I'm sitting here thinking myself, um, you know, it's, it's day in and day out. How long did it take from Africa to your final point in New York? Six months. So first thing I alone for six months, four and a half months alone without another human being. So just imagine. So imagine if it was you and me, you and I would say we'd, we'd be able to be locked in the studio for a week. I will be pushing it. I mean, and we'll, we'll have uh, we'll have all the conversation out of the way. Um, I guess there there must have also been during that time some harrowing moments of you and Vasti because she was oh, your girlfriend gosh, at the time. Yeah, and not you know, seventeen years into the relationship, and sixteen years I think at that time, and you know, obviously waiting for the, the the big question, and you know, so there was big relationship hurdles that we had to cross. And I think the the row gave us that time, the four and a half months of no other human beings. Brenda, it was hard on our relationship. Eh? It was it was tough, and it was actually the word brutal is just such a beautiful way to explain it. And if when I say brutal, I mean there was a great result still, but it was hard. Okay, so we got to New York, and uh, and then you started your life, and you sort of settled down in in Betty's Bay in Cape Town, and <laughs> sort of sat around, and and then and then 
you popped the question. Yeah. And and you and you and Vasti got married. <laughs> and and for your honeymoon. <laughs> Good Lord. Only, <laughs> like only Rian Munster can. For your honeymoon, you decided to row again. Same boat, yeah, the little boat, yeah. But, but the destination was the goal. And the I mean, the that, destination was your honeymoon, yeah, and the destination was? Hawaii. Hawaii. And you were rowing from the west coast of, of America. America. So from San Francisco. So if you can just imagine just um, halfway down America on the way to San Diego, a little place called Monterey, and set out from there and – our goal was to go and have this unbelievable we we kept joking saying we can't wait for those cocktails on Waikiki Beach you know that's was our goal and our dream and um Ach Brent, we did it, man. We had a honeymoon of well, note. Well, um, the last time I interviewed you was actually a satellite call. And sure. um, you and Vasti were in the middle, middle, middle of your trip. That's incredible. The middle of your yes. trip. But you won't even remember this. Wow. But yes. um, the night before, the boat had capsized. Yo, yo. And you had sort of been... Um, the tide had moved you away from the boat and you had, you had to take quite a lot of energy to swim back. Brent, that back was, I remember that now. That's, so that was actually the, that was still the New York trip. Hey? All right. And that was the New York trip in the middle and to be separated from the boat was just the reality. Probably what helped us was be able to talk to somebody about it, you know, because, um, being separated, Fussy told that story. She'd be in tears now. She tells the story of seeing me drift away and then realizing it was tickets and, I mean, I can be seen blasé about it, but yo, man, I didn't want to die there. I don't want to die in my job. I don't want to. And you know, I had bigger dreams. I've got a beautiful little son now. And imagine, I wouldn't have had, I wouldn't have had that if I didn't get saved by the fishing line, um, where I could grab onto that. Yeah, but harrowing moments, I think, um, are part of my work. I I read a quote um the other day that somebody had taken um of an interview that I'd done somewhere, and uh, I said something like that my job just has all these risks and the risk of dying. And I don't think about that when I'm on these journeys, eh, Brent? And that shocks me a little bit because I feel very unintelligent. I feel as if I'm, I'm, my, my IQ level has to be a heck of a lot lower than I'd like to give myself credit for. But I never, ever think about it when I'm on a journey. Only when I sit here and I sit in this world that we live in, then I realize it. Um, risk in everybody's space, no matter where they find themselves, has to be part of you achieving. If you're not taking risk, you will not achieve. Well, I am... Um when you when you started the latest expedi- expedition, the latest adventure, which was the Odyssey Row, uh, it actually started on social media. Um, you had had this idea where you were going to row again, but this time you were looking for anybody to come with you. Yeah, I wanted. You know that I entered. Yeah, no, I believe you did, and then you gave me a tongue lashing. I know that I, because um, I, I didn't get chosen. <laughs> I think that, that that was one thing that I wasn't prepared for because I get stopped. I was at an event yesterday and out of the audience, there's about four, five hundred people in the audience. And then afterwards, people came and, you know, have a little chat and, and say, hey, Rihanna, read your book. And some people uh, want to take pictures and stuff. And then you get some people who say, why the heck didn't I get chosen? And <laughs> there was about five people there. But um, Brent, listen, it was it was a dream of mine. Um, the Odyssey was just an idea. And if the way you explain it is is probably Probably the the essence of what I was trying to do. Plain old Joe, which when we say plain old Joe, we're saying we're not looking for the Olympic rower. We're looking for Brent who's saying, I want this. I don't know what it is, but I, I love the idea of it. it. It's something I want to be able to have ownership of, of rowing across an ocean. And um, Brent, it's a lot of money. It's a lot of preparation. It's a lot of skill that needs to be employed. And we were offering that gift on a plate, essentially, to say, enter 
we'll do a boot camp and then we'll find the one. And um, we ran across television uh, stations. We ran that, that entry process. And we actually withdrew adverts after day 10 because there were too, just many too many entries. Too many. 15,000 people. It's insane. I, I, like I said, I'd entered. And, I, and I'll, I'll have all the listeners know um, I don't row. I, I mean, I row, Jim. On that little road machine, and I and I can do a good maybe three and a half minutes, and then I'm kind of tired. Good enough. So, 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 so I'm not exactly the world's best rower, and also, I mean, I've I've done adventures and I've climbed Kili, and uh, we were actually in um, Tanzania at the same time wow. when Kili happened. Wow. But uh, but I, I've done certain things, and I just thought to myself, I'll put myself out there. I'll enter. Uh, who knows? Like maybe two buds can be on the the rowing exactly. boat together doing the thing. Obviously, after I pushed send. That's when the reality kicked in. And I thought about what I was actually entering. And it's mad. Absolutely mad. To go unassisted in a rowing boat to another land. It's risky. And hoping that Rian has got the answers for when when you're in trouble. It is. Sure, the way you put it like that. But that's adventure, isn't it? That's adventure. I think the people who are listening right now just got that feeling what adventure really is about. You describe it well. Again, it doesn't sound very intelligent. <laughs> <laughs> so, so okay, let's. You, you, you now have these fifteen thousand entries. You got to stop the the press. No more entries. We're full. How did you pick your boot camp? How many people were in the boot camp? Fifty people were on the shortlist. Um, the judges, I only sat in. So, the what we did agreed, I make it to the shortlist? I don't know. I wouldn't, <laughs> I wouldn't on the fifty. <laughs> yes, you can put a guy in his place here. This is the last interview we did. Corner. that I. What happened was that we agreed that Rian would um, not be involved in any of the initial stuff for obvious reasons. And then the judges, the four of them, we had really credible judges. I mean, from Siswe and Lovo to um, psychologists um, and the Fasti, of course, who knows me. And Top 50 came about. Those videos, then the guys really got stuck and they researched them, got to see what the profiles were, spoke to some friends even of people. And then on the top 50, chose a top 10. And I witnessed them choosing the top 10, actually saying, okay, Pete's going to make it and Fanafakila's going to make it and why. And they argued. And only then, Brent, wow, it dawned on me that if these guys are arguing about who's going to be in top 10 out of that top 50, how the heck are we going to actually give that opportunity to one person? How do we choose? How do we disappoint so many other people? And, um, yeah, I'm just so glad I wasn't a judge. <laughs> <laughs> Sure, very glad. And then we we went on the boot camp. The boot camp was brutal. We were going to do two of them in different parts of South Africa. What was the boot camp for? To to sort of uh, see if these top ten could possibly have the skills or just be able to row. Yeah, not at all. So it wasn't about just rowing. So we wanted to see would they get on, you know, and, and what was their their social makeup. I think, you know, I'm not I'm, I'm a control guy. I, I want to. If I had Brent's life in my hands, I would make clear with you that I make the calls when it comes to life and death. It's not, we're not going to, you and I aren't going to debate whether you clip in or don't clip in. We, I tell you clip in, you clip in. And um, you need to find that personality that understands that. It doesn't yeah. mean that you have to be a subservient. It just means that you have to understand, oh, that guy's the captain of the boat. Yes. And that not say, oh, I don't like a captain of a boat. I think that's one of the things. But actually, just sorry, step back. How do you find that person? Do you see if they can row? Of course, they need to be able to row. They need to be able to swim. They need to be able to do a few things. We had some surprises. Shockingly, I think you guys will see it in the, the documentary, things that really, they were, they were gut punches, man. Um, one of the guys arrived at the airport when we were collecting him in a wheelchair. We didn't know that. And um, we just heard that 
he had been injured and he was in recovery. And so we felt a bit duped, but he landed up probably being the most inspiring gutsy. I, I used the word, I said fight in his life. And I, I know I've got fight in me. This guy, wow, man, he just made me, he just won everybody's hearts because of his fight. Not pity, not pity. Had fight, and you loved that about him. So one guy, and then and then we also one guy couldn't swim. <laughs> and we just thought, what the hell? How have we chosen these top ten people? And then um, Brent, the judges were all in different spaces. So Fusty obviously had rode so much, and she knew me, which was very crucial for the selection process. She would look through it in the different lenses, and then we had Cizu and Lobu, who was more looking. I think Cizu probably surprised many people in how he selected. We thought he would just be the Olympic row and say, hey, can Brent row? Is he good? Can he, can he do one kilometer in this time? He wasn't. Yes, a very cerebral guy that delved into people. And we had Nicole, who was our psychologist, um, and she was just a, such a human, you know, and she was looking at that human, how, how these personalities, she'd done studies on. Well, well, on let, me, let me ask, how many days or how many months or how, how long would the row be to Barbados? It, um, it, we we said, we hoped it would take less than 60 days, but it usually would be around 50 days. Um, and so f- 50 days stuck on a boat with another human being, and the boat is the sm- smaller than a car. T- like you are, you are in each other's personal bubble. It's hardcore. It's like it, well, you've got to realize that you're going to do everything in front of them. It's, it's, it's difficult. And that's, that's, I mean, that's what the psychologist is there for, to yeah, make sure that it's… So much. And I, I mean, I, again, for me, it's the first time I've done something like this. The Odyssey is something which will continue. Hopefully, it's going to be more of a global thing. We, we really see a global opportunity here. The listeners can't see, but I've got a big smile on my face. <laughs> it's a global thing, and we've had such great response, you know, from partners in a global space we just got to work out how can we manage because we're not going to have 15,000 entries we're going to probably have 1.5 million entries which is nuts hey and Brenton just the last judge was um, Chris who owns Cape Sailing Academy and um, he's the guy who trains at captain so if you and I wanted to skip a boat we'd have to go sit through a three-month course with Chris to become a captain and um, he was the one that coached them trained them on ocean going and you'd be shocked how some people can't read a map. I mean, some people had the maps upside down, and I was looking and saying, oh, you're joking. And Chris said to me, no, don't worry. This happens often, maps upside down. <laughs> so let's listen for that. We had five days with these guys going through the process with the four judges, and I was an observer, essentially. Okay, so you, you got to see uh, from the other side what these guys could do and, and who they were and the humanness of it. And eventually the judges... Got it down to one person. They selected that person. Sure. I remember, so we had a judge's house, and I was, I stayed at the judge's house as well, but in the evenings at dinner time, then they would have an hour where they deliberate. First night was fine. Second night, I saw them chatting, and then I'd, I would retire. I'd go to sleep, and then the guys would carry on after the hour. So we just had contractually, if we could call it that, an hour they had to discuss. And um, the night before the actual selection process, so two nights before, before they wrote the name on a piece of paper and sealed the envelope, you know, they had big arguments. Ah, it was it was shocking. But I then realized my selection for this person is actually in very, very, very good hands. And you said it again. You pressed send and you realized what it's about. Were they going to write a name on an envelope where somebody understood that? Because I like that you said that because then you you be, immediately became a good candidate for that because you realize what you're in for. Instead of just the guy says, oh, I'm going to do this and it's going to be exciting and people are going to say, I'm great. We didn't want that. 
So no, um, I'm glad the guys were tough. And yeah, there can only be one. And there was one. Eventually. There was one. Yeah, Fanafakile Lepaka from Putsudi Chaba, a guy that yo, I know from day one I looked at him and I thought, this guy's got, he's going for it. Eh? This guy wants it. And then later he said to me, he said to me before, he didn't know that he really wanted it bad. And from the first challenge that they had, it was a rowing and a swimming challenge. Wow. And I just saw that he was willing to trample the opposition. Wow. And, wow. Uh, yeah. So, so we saw when you want it, you know, people talk about the world. If you really want something bad, show it and be willing to do what it takes to actually get it. Then you will uh, achieve. And Fana did that. Fana did that. So you selected him or they, the judges selected him and, and he got the news. And, and then what? Then we found out that Fana actually couldn't swim. You know, he had life jackets on and we did that out of safety. And then we realized um, we had maybe made a mistake. So we gave Fana just an ultimatum. We said um, we will be willing to back you because it's as much our fault, you know, finding out about somebody's swimming capability. And we just um, agreed that we'll make it a fair shot. We, we approached um, Rake Nietling, a friend of mine who is so well known for swimming, but he's a real good guy and he's, he works with Princess Charlene and the Swimming Academy and Princess Charlene and them also just were so happy to to actually be that space between us as the, the, resp- the responsible group and Fana to teach him to swim. And they took a guy that sunk like a stone on the first swimming lesson to a guy that swam 25 meters unaided very, very well. And that also in a space of a week. So Fana wouldn't have made it if he didn't pass that swimming lesson. He wouldn't have, if he couldn't swim 25 meters, we wouldn't have taken him. It's, it's amazing of uh, the Princess Charlene Foundation and Rake Nettling to just get involved yeah. and, and to be part of this process and, and, and sort of get him Very ready. Very grateful. Get him ready. All right. When did you guys take off? When, when was the, the first swipe of the, the row, oh, the oar? Um, Brent, we left many times, but yes, every <laughs> single time we left the hover and then something would go wrong. And it's, it, it got to funner. And for me, experience-wise in this two decades of what I do, I just realized that it never really gets going. Adventure is, it's supposed to be surprise after surprise and frustration after frustration, which is hell. But I saw it taking its toll on funner. We left, water maker didn't work. We left again from another harbor and some of our electronics didn't work. Our AIS, which is an identification system out on the ocean. And it got to him and I could see frustration. He acted as if it didn't, but it did. I could see it because it was getting to me. And um, eventually we did leave on the 9th of December, January, 9th of January. 9th of January. Yeah. And then we, 45 days later, we rode into a little harbor called St. Charles in Barbados. It's nice to touch land after 45 (laughs) days, not seeing any land or people. eh? Yeah. Um, tell me, Rian, for what, what the hell do you eat when you are out there? You, the, the idea now but in ocean rowing is to have as light a boat as possible. So you wouldn't take cans of bully beef and stuff like that. You know, you would take something that's as light as possible. Freeze-dried food is the best option. And then freeze-dried food has actually become astronauts eat freeze-dried food. I mean, to get the rocket up that high, they'd have to take a lot of food, but they'd have to take it as light as possible. Boiled water, half a liter, boom, into this packet. Ten minutes later, you're sitting with spaghetti bolognese or carbonara or would, sometimes you wouldn't know. Like Fana hadn't eaten some of the food. So there was some fancy foods, pastacini alfredo or something. And then Fana would say, what is this? And then I also wouldn't know. Then we have to taste it. Mm, what does that taste like? And sometimes we wouldn't know. But in all fairness, the best um, ingredient for food and for you to enjoy food is hunger. It's not any other thing like any spice. 
if you're hungry and you've worked hard, food tastes good. And I said that to Fana, don't worry, we'll enjoy the food, even if people say it tastes like cardboard. So, no, we lived well. And then um, we caught a lot of fish also, Brent. We, um, I'm a very uh, avid fisherman. I believe in the hunter-gatherer um, space that if you want food, you should be willing to um, go and fetch it yourself and kill it yourself. And and we made biltong, heck of it. Sometimes the boat looked like a... Uh, it, it's draped with just biltong that we were hanging in. And that was great for snacks and for protein. But the fish and the freeze-dried food is what we ate mainly. And um, and water? Where does the water come from? I, and I don't stop. mean the water around the ocean. I mean the <laughs> drinking water. <laughs> we we had a water maker. So, yeah, we just um, had a desalinator. And that's a little pipe. It's the only hole in the boat that's at the bottom of the boat. And that can take water out and uh, desalinate it, essentially putting it through a membrane and taking the NACL components, so taking the salt out of it and leaving you just with the pure H2O, which is pretty incredible. That is amazing. That concept. Amazing. Just your batteries have to work, which at our day 15, uh, just our batteries weren't working, so we had to hold out. We actually asked the ship to throw water um, off the side. They threw like 35 liters. Some of the bottles burst, and the winds were too strong for us to collect all the bags, <laughs> we thought, but we got the water. So. The water maker is wonderful, but you need power in your batteries. So we survived. And also, I like to tell people that technology is just a phenomenal thing when it comes to survival. We did carry water as an emergency on board. And that was only should really um, trouble hit the fan. Then we would use that water. But otherwise, we're okay. You And I'll say this again. You have just gotten back. So I'm sure that your, your mind is still processing this journey you've been on and still sort of uh, putting it all together. Was there some harrowing moments out there um, with a stranger, yeah. ultimately a stranger, where you're on this boat and, and, you know, it's day, I don't know, 20 and you're rowing and was there harrowing moments? Brent, I'm a real romantic man. I, I want to get the best out of, I want to get the dream. So if I had a dream, I want to deliver on the dream. I wanted to give a person an opportunity. The odyssey was about saying, can we give a person in South Africa who would never have the chance, and capital letters never have the chance to be able to row across an ocean, can we give them that opportunity? And for most people that really, the rowing across an ocean is just, it's, it's just a step too far. And, Yes, I wanted to give a gift eh, to somebody in some way. And at some times, yeah, I doubted. I said, have I failed? Have we have we failed? Yeah, you know. But Fanafakile is, yeah, man, he, he's just going to, I call it the ripple effect. Taking the opportunity being given to him. And can that ripple effect in his life weigh in on other people's lives? And it's going to happen. It's going to happen. Fana is a, he learned a lot about himself. I was hard on him at times when I did let him understand there were some truths that he perceived about himself that he thought were truths and they were untruths and i've gone through that i've walked that path where i said rian you're a you're a, a nice a sweet kind communicator and then i realized i'm not always the sweetest i'm not always the kindest and i'm not a good communicator and um, when you know that about yourself then you can work on it and so the probably the worst times they weren't really that horrible but they were uncomfortable, Brent. You know, when you're having honest conversations with your your partners or with your best friends or so, they're not nice times. And I think Fana hates me at times. But, hey, listen, Fana's a friend for life. I was about to say, uh, Fana's not in the studio today because Riyad and him are actually not talking. Joking. <laughs> he's, he's, still, he's still in New York and he's on his way back. Yeah. Um, and we're hopefully going to get him in studio as well so we can hear his side yeah. of the story. And, and from an adventure point of view, oh, my gosh, to hear what he's gone through and, you know, to, to be put in a position. You've done this before. Yes. And 
I must say, every adventure is most probably different, but you also kind of knew what to expect, and you, you sort of went your way. For him, it was brand new. Everything shocking. was brand new. It was new. shocking. Where I, the one thing I learned on this journey was, Rian, take a step back. This guy couldn't swim. This guy's never been on the ocean. He comes from a landlocked province. Take a step back. Calm down. Have some patience. Be easier, be easier on this guy. Yeah. Safety was something I never, it was non-negotiable. We didn't have a discussion about that. So we didn't, we didn't debate whether he's safety, clipping and uh, et cetera. But um, what you just said now, imagine, man, the guy had never seen the ocean, had never been six kilometers deep. I made, I made him swim on the second last day because he kept uh, putting it off and deferring and deferring. And eventually I said to him, now put cameras on, on the boat. And I said, this um, is it. People, Fana's going to swim today. And Shami swam six kilometers deep. <clears throat> Isn't that incredible for a guy who's never, like, you couldn't, you couldn't swim, man. He's you're, giving me, you're giving me goosebumps because it it's is awesome. just once in a lifetime moments. Tell me about when your feet hit the shore in Barbados. Do you, you is it like drunk, the movies? Man. Do you kiss the floor? Uh, Fana did. I was just so happy, man. My son, my little son and my wife were waiting and then I, I held back. So, on the boat, when I, spoke, when I spoke to myself and I was rowing and trying to visualize what's going to happen in Barbados and arrive, yes, I was emotional every time. My son is going to be waiting for me. This is something that's uh, it's only in movies, man. Your son. And then emotions just um, come out. And I was emotional sometimes thinking about it. So I thought I was just going to crack eh, when I got there. And I sort of kept it together, waved at people. There were a lot of people there that were welcoming us. And, and a lot I of people it. from the island came out yeah. to, to celebrate. I, I'd, I'd like to believe that the island people over there are historically just always been welcoming visitors and when they're exotic people on a little rowing boat, you know, it's a good reason to come out and <laughs> have a, a pina colada. The, um, and then Brent, for me, just um, Fana got off and I, we unfortunately couldn't get Fana's wife and his, his twins there. Um, we had visa problems with um, uh, trying to reroute them. You can't fly straight to Barbados. And then that was disappointing. And then it sat with me for, for a lot of the time was that Fana wouldn't see his wife. But for me, I had Fusty there and um, Jamesy was waiting for me. And it only took about five minutes. And then I, I was just so sad, happy sad, you know. And um, I, I think uh, it'd be my third crossing. You mentioned it now and I've done it before. I, I know what to expect. I was proud of myself. Was good. Well, Rian, I've known you for a couple of years. You and I met by chance uh, on an island once. That's <laughs> amazing. Uh, where actually, where yeah. we drank a lot of rum and, and sort of got to know each other. And I've, I, I call you one of my brothers because um, we just, uh, there's a good chemistry. Uh, we were meant to meet. Sure, yeah. um, but that said, we're also meant to do an adventure together. And I'm never going to put that to bed. I learned how to sail in January. So I can sure. sail now. I'm, I'm not a great sailor, but I, I know which side of the boat is, or which side of the sailboat to sit on, and I know how to work the ropes. And, sure, very uh, good. You know, I'm, I'm know more than me. I'm, I'm trying to learn things so that we can get some sort of expedition going, and and maybe the Odyssey Year Two is about sending Brent on an adventure. <laughs> Brent, you know, you, you remind me when we sat and we spoke about that swimming um, opportunity. Uh, really just for the dream. listeners, we, we, we'd had a couple of glasses of wine and um, we discussed swimming around Zanzibar. Zanzibar. Yeah, it's a real option. I think, you know, we talk about not that it's going to be a global warming thing, but it will, it will be something that could prickle or, or make people consider what's happening global warming wise. You, you and I swim around that island. It's a monstrous island. And I love that idea. 
Um, I still, I still, it's in the, it's, it's, it's okay. in there. It's, it's, yeah, it's there, the, the it's seed's there, been planted and um, it'll happen in the next years to come. I don't know. There'll be some sort of expedition. Or maybe on a 60 foot sailboat now that you're a sailor. We just don't know. <laughs> we just don't know. So to wrap up, this is always the worst question in an interview and it's something that I always put out there. Um, what's next? Because obviously you've just returned. Where's your head? Brent, when people get, um, you know, people talk about five year plans and 10 year plans. You know, I, I really like to answer just my gut feel always when people have asked me that right now you want my gut feel it's to spend time with my son so it's the, the gut feel it's it's i know i've got to be a present dad i didn't grow up in a privileged family space and i've got to break that cycle for me to now be a present dad i've got to deliver you know there's no there, there, there's an ocean between saying and doing and also my wife is a christian's an advocate and i know she wants to spend some time in that workspace you know she's worked hard to be there that is my next it is my next. I love that. And I look forward to coming to your house by the beach and, and enjoying a good lunch with you and the family. Please, please, you're welcome. It's been amazing. Uh, this is the Good Things Guy Jackpot. Rian, I want to have fun on next and I want to have you back when you go on your next adventure. People when we go on our next adventure. People are going to love fun at Brent. Thanks for having me. Thank you. And only good things. I'm Brent Lindekew, South Africa's very own Good Things Guy, and you've been listening to Good Things Guy, a Jackpot podcast. For more episodes or to subscribe, rate, or review my podcast, go to iTunes, Iona FM, or Google Podcasts. Be kinder than necessary to yourself and each other. Thanks, and only good things.